there's a new paradigm of fans that can be involved before the stream and potentially involved for a long time before the stream to the point where maybe they're uh, having some, uh, you know, taking uh, in one example, weekly surveys about should a, a character wear a red or blue costume or, you know, should the characters explore uh, this or that location? Um, it's not like a binding contract kind of input, but it's real fan input along the way. You're listening to Lights, Camera, Crypto, the podcast exploring all things entertainment and Web3. I'm your host, Stephen Ladden, and this week our guest is Next Cypher founder, Jeff Garzik. In this episode, Jeff discusses being fascinated with science fiction as a kid and reading about decentralized currencies. So in 2010, when he was first exposed to Bitcoin, he immediately knew it was the future. And while Jeff was one of Bitcoin's key developers and went on to be somewhat of a serial entrepreneur, starting companies like Vesper Finance and Space Chain, entertainment held a particularly special place in his heart, which led him eventually to create NextCypher Productions. NextCypher is a Web3 media company that focuses on the production of traditional film and television with the added element of fan engagement. Let's dive in. Jeff, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Really interested in learning more about you and your path and how all of that has sort of culminated with Next Cypher Productions. Uh, early on growing up, did you, did you always have an interest in media, in tech, in the convergence of the two? Where, where was that interest really cultivated from? Yeah, I, I think I was always fortunate to grow up around uh technology from uh my my youngest youngest days my father uh used to build these kits called heath kit where uh this was back in the the late uh, well early 80s excuse me and you could solder together computers it it wasn't just all silicon chips and and uh you know t seven nanometer uh fabrication uh and uh so i really had a a, a tech a gadgety dad uh, he could never convince me to uh, get into changing the oil of my car. Uh, I was never into mechanicals like he was, but uh, he uh, he uh, taught me computers at an early age. I was uh, programming uh, BASIC and Pascal at the age of eight. Uh, so I was just always a nerd from the earliest days. <laughs> and, uh, um, you know, also for my father, he uh, worked in the the White Sands Missile Range and the U.S. military's various rocketry projects. And that got me uh, pulled into aerospace. And uh, he would take me to space shuttle launches. Mm. Uh, and uh, for a kid in the 80s, that was that was just living in the future. It, and so it's not just aerospace, but uh, you get to see uh, astronauts literally going to other planets. And right. what a... What an amazing time that was, and and that just sparked so much imagination, uh, combined with just being a voracious reader. I would read anything and everything uh, I could get my hands on, uh, you know, whether it was uh, pulpy, cheesy science fiction or real heady uh, Isaac Asimov science fiction uh, or anything of that nature. I just sponged uh, every little bit of it. 
and it uh it it really uh gives you an idea of what are the future possibilities and how science fiction as a a storytelling medium in a little bit of ways and i I think you can look backwards over the past 40 years and say this is true, is it kind of predicts the future in fits and starts. And you see uh, some of the things with, uh, you know, for example, Steven Spielberg's movie AI is a lot of that's now in the year 2023 kind of coming true in uh, in many ways. And that that's just a, a sliver of the things that w were science fiction and became science reality. And I, I just saw that pattern over and over and over again, that science fiction to science reality uh, transition. And I knew I had to get involved. I knew that uh, our authors from Arthur C. Clarke to Asimov to uh, directors like Lucas and Spielberg were, they were telling the stories that uh, not only resonated and entertained, but uh, inspired. And I don't know mm -hmm. uh, any of the directors, for example, of the Star Trek TNG episodes, but all of those uh, were also uh, very inspirational uh, not only to me, but uh, to NASA scientists, to startup entrepreneurs, to uh, people who are really building the next generation of science. Uh, so uh, from an early age, that was that was me. I, I love the future, and it seemed like science fiction, whether it's uh, TV shows or movies or books, was was a channel to uh, in 1980 what 2023 might look like. Hmm. So you were you were very much then it sounds like predisposed to follow the path that you ended up going on in terms of uh, getting involved in Bitcoin. And that sounds more of just an extension of everything you just mentioned. It, it really is. And there there's a, an even stark example. I was waiting for Bitcoin to happen thanks to science fiction. And what I mean by that is in the late 90s or, or mid 90s, uh, a tabletop game, a spinoff of Dungeons and Dragons called Shadowrun was popular. And this tabletop game was basically Dungeons and Dragons, but cyberpunk Dungeons and Dragons, but in the future. And it uh, it spawned uh, not only the tabletop game, but a series of novels which uh, which is how I found it. And in the novels, they had digital currency. And so mm. in the 90s, it was just assumed, and you can see this in other science fiction, uh, authors just assumed that digital currency is going to exist. And so I, I grew up with my base assumption of, you know, it might not be invented yet, but this thing is going to exist. So I just need to wait for it for some creator to create it and i'll instantly know uh, that's the thing and that happened uh july of 2010 uh there was a, a post on a website slash.org news for nerds a uh, very <laughs> popular uh blog website at the time uh technology website talked about bitcoin the decentralized currency and it, it, uh, thanks to Shadowrun, thanks to science fiction, thanks to uh, you know voracious reading of uh, sci-fi, I knew that that was the thing. I was I was kind of skeptical on the tech side. I uh, uh, I was a very uh, very deep technologist at the time, and I thought in my mistaken egotism that surely it can't be fully decentralized. 
Uh, but happily, it's uh, it's open source. And uh, for for those that don't know, that means that metaphorically, you can open the hood of the car and inspect all the guts inside. And myself, as an engineer, I ha I have the ability to to evaluate that. I looked at Bitcoin, and it was the real thing. It was that uh, decentralized cross-border type currency that I had read about literally decades ago in the in the novels. Uh, they called it New Yen, N-U-Y-E-N, because it was very Japanese manga inspired uh, sure. at the time. Uh, but that that was uh, the Bitcoin beacon 20 years early, and I just knew to wait for it. And what and what when you encountered it, what what did it activate you to do? Uh, well, uh, immediately, I, uh, I just wanted to uh, spread the knowledge. I was, uh, you know, before the, the, the crypto bro was a term, I was maybe one <laughs> of those in that I was trying to get my uh, my contractors to accept Bitcoin, my my dentists and doctors to accept Bitcoin, try this, uh, you know, new digital currency uh, that uh, I knew would take, you know, have some part in shaping the future, as indeed it did. Um, you know, you can all, you can look back, uh, I can look back and, uh, you know, grin at all the ways that, uh, you know, I was a na naive youngster, you know, even in, in my late thirties, but, uh, just, I knew that it was the future. I knew, uh, I have the analogy to gunpowder. I knew it was a lot like gunpowder in that it's going to change everything. Uh, some people are going to blow their fingers off and get hurt. Uh, some people will create amazing companies that transform the world. Uh, some people will, you know, sadly, uh, pessimistically use it to victimize others. And it's kind of that uh, that double-edged sword of all new technology. But, uh, but again, I knew that this was just inevitable uh, thanks to science fiction. And it's just what form would that inevitability take? And that was Bitcoin. And do you think because of that early predisposition to uh, science fiction that it made your, your the ventures uh, you became involved in, Vesper Finance, Block, those, those forays more natural, more, it felt more aligned because you had already sort of envisioned a future in which you were participating in real time? Absolutely. It uh, again, when you see the future happening right in front of you, at least my natural inclination is how do I help build the future? How do I participate in the future? Uh, one of the things that I uh, teach in my mentoring, teach my kids is uh, whenever there's innovation uh, happening, experience it. It might not be for you. It might be for you but you're always going to expand your knowledge. You're going to expand your experience. You're, you're going to learn lessons. You're going to see that you have skills that you never knew you had. Uh, and uh, so even if you don't pursue it, you will have gained a lot from it. And that, that's, that's, that's sort of been a pattern in my life personally. And I think a, uh, a way to be successful for, for others in life in general is uh, in the, the early 90s, uh, when I was at uh, Georgia Tech uh, at university, I put the student newspaper on the web when the web was an early thing. 
uh, and that in the that days of dial up to the opportunity of uh, pulling a number of my colleagues and myself over to CNN to put CNN on the web. And so, uh, you know, for university students listening, uh, I was not paid to do that. I was not asked to put the student newspaper on the web. I just saw that there was a new technology and thought, you know, how can uh, how can the student newspaper benefit? And I'd hope that students would have similar inspirations, you know, today with AI or uh, VR or, you know, pick any any number of new technologies is how can you apply that to your life? And then what doors will that open in your life as a as a result of that? Everything you're describing, it it does have you referenced, I think, the East Asian culture uh, earlier in this conversation. It, it, Everything has an, a, a holistic approach that you've kind of incorporated into how you're talking about inspiration and, and, and tech and, and stuff like that. Is is that a big influence again into sort of mindset and easeability when thinking about technology in the future? It is. It really is. It's. Uh... You know, I, I guess it, it, it was ingrained in my DNA very early just to keep looking forward, keep marching forward. Um, you know, that that helps in the adversity side is uh, just, you know, heads down, just keep marching forward. The, the next day is going to be a new day. But also on the inspiration optimistic uh, side is that I know that there are billions and billions of people uh, working you know, to make uh, their their lives better and collectively that's that's got to move us all forward in, uh, you know, really interesting and inspirational ways. Uh, and so, uh, you know, again, uh, just science fiction kind of, you know, was, was a, one of the biggest, I'd say, inputs into that and not only books, but uh, really uh, film in particular. Uh, you know, TV, uh, perhaps uh, as a, a third, you know, I'd, I'd rank movies, books and TV in terms of inspiration uh, in that order, because uh, there's nothing uh, that really substitutes for that experience. Total immersion going to a movie theater. It's a movie you've never seen before and you're just completely immersed, completely blown away by the story, the characters, the emotion and, uh, you know, I remember seeing, for example, uh, Jodie Foster in Contact, another uh, another mid 90s movie. All my all my culture is like stuck <laughs> in the 90s and 2000s, I'm afraid. Uh, and uh, that movie, it was uh, in part uh, written and overseen uh, on the technical side by Arthur C. Clarke. Uh, no, no, Carl Sagan, excuse me. And uh, they paid a particular attention to scientific accuracy and that inspired so many university students to start looking at aerospace. Hmm. And so this this kind of thing has, uh, you know, again, real world impact. When one of my startups, Space Chain, uh, we've had we've launched uh, uh, seven uh, objects into low Earth orbit. Wow. Uh, whether to the International Space Station or literally a, a cube set uh, floating in space. And that, again, uh, would not have happened without uh, myself being inspired in science fiction and Elon Musk being inspired by science fiction and bringing down the cost of rocketry by mm. one one thousandth 
of the previous cost. So startups that could never, ever access space can now pay uh, what what is a lot of money, a couple hundred thousand dollars, but compared to a billion dollars, sure. it's yeah. suddenly uh, so much more accessible to entrepreneurs like myself. And uh, that, that came out of, uh, you know, thinking about the future in a positive way, writing stories, uh, you know, spinning, spinning tales about uh, the future. In terms of, well, first of all, I love the, the, I love how inspired you were uh, from different types, as you mentioned, uh, of media, but movies in particular, and how, you know, with the example of contact, how it, it, it illustrates how far reaching certain pieces of content can have on different industries and just the power of different types of media to inspire and to then help perpetuate uh, continual change and continual growth of, of a society in different facets. With respect to your own entrepreneurship, what what was one of the leading drivers for your new uh, I say new, it's, it's, uh, was formed in 2022. Uh, one of your recent endeavors, new, uh, next cipher, um, what, what's sort of in that DNA, uh, in terms of what you hope to achieve with, with the company and, and what's sort of the ethos that you're bringing to it? Yeah, after 20 years of being a technologist, I really, you know, inspired by science fiction, I felt like I wanted to give back. I felt that, uh, you know, I have, like many, have a number of stories kind of bursting out of my head and wanting to be on paper, on screen. Uh, I think, uh, you know, many of us are, are kind of budding storytellers and screenwriters. Uh, but beyond that, uh, and specifically where crypto comes into play, was uh, the the NFT uh, craze, which is uh, burned off a little bit now, but uh, it was very inspiring in terms of there's a lot of innovation I felt uh, that could be done on the fan side, the fan experience side, where uh, as it stands now, compare and contrast, uh, a production will uh, be under development behind the scenes and pre-production behind the scenes and production, uh, you know, post. And then eventually it streams uh, a year or two after the original kind of first kernel of an idea kicked off that that first pilot script got handed to a network executive. Uh, that process is a year or two minimum. And during that time, to me, that's dead air where fans could be start to get excited about a property. They could start to think about, uh, you know, what is this uh, story arc? Obviously you want to, you know, do all the, the you don't want to give away spoilers or, or anything like that, but there's a new paradigm of fans that can be involved before the stream and potentially involved for a long time before the stream to the point where maybe they're, uh, Having some, uh, you know, taking uh, in one example, weekly surveys about should a, a character wear a red or blue costume or, you know, should the characters explore uh, this or that location? Um, mm -hmm. It's not mm -hmm. like a binding contract kind of input, but it's real fan input along the way. And you can also have 
fan experiences like you know one lucky fan gets a trip to a production location or a fan gets to have a 30 minute zoom with the showrunners to you know pitch their own idea or uh, something of that nature you know we really uh we're thinking what are the most immersive fan experiences that not just uh the tv shows that we're producing but every movie every single tv show on the planet uh should have in terms of fan uh you know super fan connectivity super fan stickiness and uh those kind of events engagements that uh could go well uh earlier in time on the pre-production side and then uh post continue uh well after it starts streaming so i you know it was just to me a green field of how much better can we make the fan experience hmm. better stories and better fan experience one well, and, and also it sounds like community too would be built Absolutely. around around the properties and around through that experience you'd be having a much more rich participation really and 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 integration with whatever media you're focused on here um which which kind of takes away the passivity of all right i'm i'm immersing myself passively by watching something now you're you're engaging with that material in a much more active way yeah, that that that's a good way to put it. And there's we hope a little bit of fan ownership in that they have a they have some input in how things are shaped and developed. And hopefully when it starts streaming, you can you can shout at the screen, I you know, I I influenced how that costume or that prop went or uh, you know, I won a copy of that prop in a fan contest, uh, that sort of thing. And that is the fan experience that we're uh, really going towards interacting with the actors, actresses, uh, sets, producers, um, you know, how rich can we make the fan experience? We really just want to, you know, we want to push the bounds in all of those locations. What? Can you speak to currently? I know you have some new developments that uh, you know you might have to keep under the hood. But what what projects that you're working on currently? Can you can you kind of talk about how this experience is playing out? So another way of asking this question is: Are there any current projects that you have that you can speak to of how this sort of fan integration is taking shape? Uh, sure, absolutely. Well, uh, folks can uh, always visit our website, nextcipher.com. Uh, we just uh, opened up our uh, beta fan site, nxcfans.com. And if you have one of the NFTs uh, called a multipass, uh, we all love uh, Fifth Element, um, called a multipass for our Looking Glass production. That's uh, one of our uh, in-house uh, developments. Um, we originated that universe. It's a, a very expansive kind of year 2070 cypherpunk uh, future uh, type story where uh, a female protagonist, Allie, uh, falls through the looking glass as in uh, Alice in Wonderland. She's, a, she's an upper middle class, uh, very uh, well-to-do uh, kind of 
everyday person and she discovers that uh the the world of shadow runners and grid runners is uh bubbling beneath the surface and suddenly she's dropped down the rabbit hole and she uh has to live in the world of shadow runners grid runners mercenaries and uh find her way uh in a strange new world uh, it's a world of uh class divisions and uh you know he has and she hasn't uh kind of uh uh, drama set amidst uh, a real uh, exciting futuristic type universe and uh, that's that's looking glass uh, one of our properties and for the folks that have our nft associated with that that unlocks uh, a digital download of a graphic novel that we had produced uh, you can get it on amazon.com but uh, you get it for free uh, if you uh, have our NFT, it's kind of like our fan club uh, holding the NFT. Uh, you can also get uh, a physical copy of that same graphic novel uh, sent uh, to your house. You'll have Comic-Con passes, chance to win Comic-Con passes, chance to win uh, trips to uh, uh, where we're going to be filming in Bulgaria uh, on set uh, late this year in uh, one of our productions. Cool. Um, and a lot of other, uh, a lot of other, uh, kind of fan engagement type things. Our second production is Deathlands, which is based on a, uh, series of, uh, novels in the, uh, 1980s, which, uh, kind of a, a post-apocalyptic, uh, type Mad Max scenario, which is, uh, you know, very, uh, you know, kind of hardy survival characters, uh, in a strange land type of story. Um, that uh, that we're real excited about. We're shopping both of those around uh, right now for a buyer. And then uh, our third uh, production is an unscripted nonfiction called Future.gov. And it's all about uh, seasteading and network states and uh, crypto nations and all of these uh, sort of new innovations on the countryside. So those are our uh, three studio productions. Um, I can't go into detail on the, the status of those, but uh, we definitely are going to have some exciting news to share uh, in the very short term about uh, one of those that I just listed. Very cool. And in terms of, you mentioned buyers, are you taking these projects, the traditional media route in terms of finding uh a studio or a network or what's sort of that process like given that these are more uh richer uh projects in terms of fan experience and there's there's a lot more tied into as you're talking about the value of the nft and what that gets you and how, how does that uh either aid or limit your 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 you going out to buyers and and that process I think it's it's very much additive. So we're we're a hybrid model in that we go the traditional studio financing route for our productions. But what the Web3 NFT fan engagement platform brings us is provable fan base in that we can walk in the door and say we're not just pitching a script, we're pitching a script that has a fan base behind it. We're pitching a script that ha already has engagement on you know day negative 100 uh, that we can walk in the door and say these people are interested in this 
Um, one of the things that uh, I'm learning is uh, being new to entertainment. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm a multi-decade technologist and entrepreneur and investor, but uh, new to this industry. So I'm, I'm learning a lot every day. And for, from the business side, they distinguish between original IP and established IP. Uh, it being original is uh, a story that you just came up with yesterday. You just wrote the script or several scripts uh, and you're developing uh, your own idea. Established IP is uh, you're licensing a Star Wars, a Star Trek, uh, a Captain Planet. You have the option to uh, develop that into a movie or a TV series episodic. And I'm learning that uh, they really like established IP because there's that track record. There's that uh, they can look at data and say people liked this property. And so that's what the NFT and Web3 uh, fan platform kind of bootstraps us into is that even without an established IP, we can say there is regardless, there's a fan base here. And there's a graphic novel and there are readers behind the graphic novel. And there's an engaged community of hundreds, potentially thousands already. And this thing hasn't even been produced. Mm -hmm. So uh, that's the that's we make that argument on the business side. And on the fan side, we uh, make the argument that if you're here early, the experience is going to be richer. You're going to have some sway over the direction and when it does stream, it'll be uh, that much uh, dearer to your heart. Right. And in terms of the the ownership piece, helping keep the project near and dear to one's heart, ownership, of course, I'm, I'm referring to in terms of the NFT, uh, you mentioned it can be more of a, a pass into the community. Is there anything that a, a fan would actually tangibly own in terms of content that's being produced does the nft help is it is it more of a pass that allows for that accessibility as you mentioned a trip to bulgaria potentially or or is there some monetary uh stake that they now have in a particular project um well i'll take the last first i would love to have a monetary stake but there's so much legal mumbo jumbo surrounding that that uh, it becomes quite complicated. I've, uh, you know, across multiple companies spent literally millions of dollars with uh, <laughs> corporate attorneys, securities attorneys, just uh, making sure that uh, all the crypto legals are, are onshore and up and up and legally compliant and all, all that good stuff. Uh, so we're, we're, there are a lot of exciting ideas uh, but you, they they have yet to fully pass that regulatory uh, legal attorney type test. Uh, everyone wants to uh, do a revenue share with fans, which would be super cool. Uh, you know, we would love to do something like that. Um, you know, even better is kind of an ownership, a literal ownership stake in uh, a movie property or even a movie studio. And uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of red tape and yellow tape around uh, both of those ideas. So those are things that uh, we and others are absolutely working towards. Uh, but that's going to be years down the line once once all the attorneys figure out uh, who who reports to what. Uh, so it's it's firmly in the realm of uh, you get you get some influence, you get some emotional ownership. 
but not uh, as of yet uh, legal ownership. That's something that we absolutely love to give. It uh, it's what Kickstarter and many of the other uh, you know GoFundMe type sites they would love to uh, do equity as well. But uh, again, the red tape. Uh, there's just a lot of regulations, securities, and commodities regulations that uh, that really put a damper on some of our entrepreneurial ideas. Well, in in place of say the financial component, it sounds like though there's been concerted effort to create and develop a creative stake in, as you mentioned, having these little. Uh, call them small, but, but creative asks to the community and the holders of, Hey, what do we want uh, a particular shirt to look like? Or, you know, giving, giving a little bit of input, which I think goes a long way. It does. It does. And uh, I grew up with, uh, this is very anachronistic now, uh, but I grew up with a series of books called Choose Your Own Adventure books. Yes. And you would uh, re read a little bit of a story and then it'd give you a multiple choice question. Does your character make a left turn or a right turn? If you're making a left turn, turn to page 200. If you're making a right turn, turn to page 300. And it was a, it was a lot of fun how the, the story would branch. But again, it gives you a sense of control over the story is you're steering the story to a certain amount and there are multiple outcomes, which makes it really interesting. Maybe the, the hero doesn't succeed in the end, or maybe he, you know, he, he saves old Yeller from dying, you know, uh, or something like that. And I think having, uh, that level of fan input is really, uh, speaks to some of the super modern generative AI stuff that's coming out right this second as we're, we're recording this. Uh, so I think the future, as we're recording this too, there's a writer's strike on, and uh, I really see the future as being a boon to writers uh, in the AI uh, sense, in that writers will be able to just dream, and that's going to self-animate and uh, create uh, almost from spoken word straight to movie. It's going to be an incredible revolution. Some of the stuff that people are doing with uh, Adobe Photoshop update that, again, was released this week. You can just, uh, you know, sketch something and say, I want a deer inside this blob. And it'll put a photorealistic deer in there. And then you can click a button and say animate and it'll animate that deer. And so the next logical step is literally going to be the storytellers are kings, the storytellers are coming up with the stories and the computers will draw the characters, animate them in set, uh, you know, add transitions. So uh, you'll have uh, directors and, and writers as uh, the first principles of these uh, episode, episodic TV shows, movies. Uh, and it again, it's uh, so exciting to be alive with... Uh, all this science fiction, uh, you know, changing stories forever. And that's, that's part of why we started next ciphers just to be, to be in it at a, an amazing time. Right. And, and what a time it is. And so, so you're just to understand, like you're, you're thinking then, which gets back to thinking positively, uh, about tech shifts and stuff like that, that the, 
the AI tools could benefit writers and creators in the sense that it's not replacing them. It's saying, hey, you don't have to sit at the computer and perhaps take what's in your mind and convert it into words. You can literally at some point speak into a device which will capture your thoughts, which will then convert that into something for you, uh, i.e. an animated rendering. And then all of a sudden, it's basically, it's a different way of doing the same thing. That's exactly right. You can uh, uh, speak aloud and create storyboards, speak aloud and do pre-visualization runs of your entire film. And, you know, imagine going to a studio and you're not putting a script in front of them. You're putting an entire pre-vis of your film in front of the studio executive. Sure. So uh, that that's pretty mind blowing. Yeah, absolutely. Considering that to do that now, the or the traditional way, if you wanted to shoot a proof of concept or a sizzle or something, that still in itself requires the coordination of talent and shoots and and sound. You, you, I mean, it's still the full production for showcasing a, a snippet of what something could be. So not only from from the way that you're describing this would that help save time and money for everyone across the board it's it's uh making those potential pitch meetings much more uh immersive for for everybody involved yeah it's really exciting uh, all the possibilities uh that generative ai and and ai assistants uh are opening up one of my uh favorite uh recent reads is from an economist Tyler Cowen, The Average is Over. And one of the chapters in there is on man-machine teaming. And uh, he argues, uh, he uses the example of chess. There's a, a variant of the game of chess where you're allowed to cheat. You're allowed to use a computer to advise you on moves. But the other person on the other side of the chessboard is also allowed to you allowed to cheat as it were allowed to use a computer advisor and so it's man machine versus man machine and the point that the economist uh cowan makes in his book is that uh it's you're just a, an operator of a tool and that gives you more power to do more and to to have more expansive stories to create just more stories you have a ton of ideas in your head and you can visualize all those ideas rather than uh, having to pound one out on a virtual uh, typewriter in a hotel room for three weeks uh you know sylvester stallone did with the rocky script right so uh you know there's uh, there's all this power in these new tools and so I think that uh, everyone just levels up their their storytelling ability. I I don't see it as a you know ma- mass layoffs kind of thing. I think everybody can do better work kind of outcome. Mm. Well, right. And if you think about it from a from a positive standpoint, the creative inputs that you would need to use with machine as as we're calling it uh, on on this riff. You're still, if you put in, well, you know, we say with ChatGPT, if you put in something that, uh, if if you put in prompts that aren't maybe the most uh, imaginative, then your chances, yes, you'll get something unique, but 
you also may not receive the utmost uh you're 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 not going to get the best perhaps output if someone who is more creatively inclined and and has a different way of thinking about things could put into an AI system like that and get a result that perhaps enhances what they already do naturally. If does that make sense? It it does, and I I think that's right. But the way I think people will more likely use it is kind of an inspiration tool. And yeah. I'll I'll use uh, computer programming uh, and Chat GPT as an example. Is uh, Chat GPT can write source code for computer software. And so even if you're not a programmer or you're not a very good programmer, you can still type in natural language English, write me a game in Python, a dice game in Python that does this, that, and the other. I, I actually did this experiment and it wrote in the Python programming language source code for a dice game according to my specifications. And it was wow. a, a graphical pops up on my MacBook type uh, game fully working. Uh, and so wow. a lot of programmers can use that kind of uh, capability, but it's more of a first draft. That's that's right. point number one. And point number two, there are sometimes errors in the source code and you have to be expert enough to fix what the AI wrote. And so into jumping back to Hollywood and jumping back to screenwriters, I think screenwriters will use it for that initial inspiration, that initial draft, but it's their, you know, human, their magic that, you know, takes over at a certain point and it's going to be the people and their brain power and their creativity that uh, takes over from there and writes the, the rest of the script. Right. So it's, it's more, it sounds like then that the core functionality provided by AI technology in this case will be the sort of first pass that initial call it the vomit draft or the vomit outline <laughs> that that exactly. some people right right uh, refer to it as and and then from there sculpting it putting in the the human the the emotive components all of that stuff that the AI may or may not capture but really finessing it to a place that is you know a, a more finished pol polished product that, that's exactly right. And it also introduces uh, new modes of editing, uh, like the, uh, uh, the I, I forget if it's David Fincher or David Milch, but the creator of Deadwood, the, the primary uh, producer and writer of Deadwood, uh, he, does, he, he uh, writes by dictation. And hmm. so he has a, uh, a, a screen drafter sitting next to him and he speaks the dialogue aloud that he wants the characters in Deadwood to say. And uh, she, uh, the, the, the scribe will uh, record that in, in the proper screenwriting format. But the point is, is his experience in writing, quote unquote, is 100% verbal, 100%. Mm -hmm. He does not put a single finger on a single keyboard. And yet we have Deadwood, which I absolutely love. And so uh, AI is going to offer something like that as well. Um, uh, the, again, the tools are very nascent, but as we record this, I can uh, input a first draft of a script and then verbally say, oh, take that character out and replace it with this other character. 
and it's like the the best word processor on steroids because it knows what the heck I mean by the words that I just said. I don't have to do control F, find and replace right. this character, but over and above that, it changes the scenes. It'll write a character out of a scene, which is just insane. So it's it's almost like a screenwriting assistant sitting right next to you. And so again, the primary screenwriter is not gone from the process. They're way more productive. They're they can just talk to their computer and say, uh, yeah, I hate this character, edit him out of scene 32 and uh, move scene 12 up to the first act and let's make it day instead of night. You can literally take the words I just said and input that as a prompt into AI and it can change your draft for you. So, you know, productivity goes through the, the ceiling, um, idea generation goes through the ceiling, um, you know, there's, there's just a lot of, uh, I, I think it's again, going to be a Renaissance for Hollywood directors, Hollywood, uh, writers and storytellers. Well, and, and the way that you're describing it too, you, it evokes the memory of, uh, of the story of Spielberg driving, uh, you know, across the hill in Los Angeles and, and using that time to speak into uh, a tape recorder and, and talk through a script or a scene or something like that. So in the same way, this is uh, the next evolution of that, which instead of him having to then go back, sit at a computer or anybody, uh, just using that as the example, but using a, or, or on our phones, same process, going for a walk, recording uh, an idea or, or literally doing exactly what you were talking about. It's, it's removing that, it's elevating that process to make it more seamless and essentially take less time, as you're saying, to then free you up to do more things. So it's in this way, I think the way we're, we're framing the technology and talking about it, definitely you can see where, where the value is uh, for sure. Yeah. When, uh, when we're developing software, one of the, the, the lessons hammered home after multiple decades is uh, it's less about kind of the technical specifications and design process and uh it all boils down to the acronym ux which stands for user experience and i think and and i i might be wrong about this uh there are plenty plenty more screenwriters in hollywood uh, than i with far more experience uh but i think that just being able to verbally talk to the computer and say uh, you know move this around add this character and have it happen without you having to do so much on the shuffling virtual or physical paper aspect. You sometimes the tools get in the way. Like in a in a word processor, I'm trying to highlight a section and move it to the first act from the second act, and you know you got to do cut and paste, but then you got to do these other things. You know, there's a lot of kind of mechanical word processory stuff involved in heavy revisioning, whereas that interrupts your idea flow. And what if you could flow just straight from idea to page and the page keeps changing as the ideas keep flowing? As uh, no, delete these four characters and send this character to a moon base. And uh, he's gonna appear on a moon base in scene one, make uh, three notes, change the outline and change the list of characters. And AI you know, does all that 
literally based on just English natural language. So uh, I, I all all of that stuff excites me. Uh, it excites me as a story consumer. Uh, I think there'll be a lot more high quality stories and uh, the visual quality is uh, going to be uh, leveled up as well. You'll be able to, uh, you know, again, verbally prompt CGI without having to have an entire Weta Workshops department. Um, you'll need Weta Workshops if you want to do like still Lord of the Rings level stuff. There, you know, those uh, those folks aren't going away. But again, if you're doing previs storyboarding, that all of that's going to be photorealistic now, and it's going to be very close to what's in your head. If you can describe it with words, it can put it on a screen. Yeah, and it and it and it makes from everything you're saying, it, it makes the whether it's a, a doc, it, it makes the, the 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 creations more fluid and alive. Really, you know, the documents no longer uh, as static as perhaps it used to be. It seems that from what you're saying, with the more mass adoption of the greater mass adoption of verbalizing thoughts and ideas and and dialogue that now the the script and the sizzles are are these much more fluid um beings than previously you know constructed that's exactly right and you can easily instruct the ai to just change the tone is uh change the tone of the scene to be more serious and then again, it, the AI is not doing all the work. You know, it's 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 AI plus or it's computer plus person. You don't you don't get uh, great art without the person component. So the AI just gives you say, okay, the scene rewrite this scene to be darker. Okay, now it's darker, but you still as a writer have to go in and check its work and you know tweak the scene and make sure it flows. Uh, and that sort of thing. So the the person aspect doesn't go away. It just makes the person more productive. You could have it rewrite, uh, you know, the entire episode. You know, say the you get a network note. You know, very real world example. You get a network note that uh, your episode shouldn't be a romance episode. It should be, you know, far more action oriented. You know, that's either a, a clean slate. Uh, you're banging on a keyboard for three days and nights kind of thing, or AI will take a first draft and you're, you're just playing editor of uh, the work. So I think, uh, I think productivity uh, comes from the AI and the creative comes from the human. And uh, it's really the marriage of those two. That's, that's going to accelerate this stuff. Very, very cool. In, in terms of that acceleration you've you've mentioned uh two of the projects that you can talk about uh under uh the the banner you guys have what kind of coming up do you have uh lo looking forward that that you're excited about and and uh that you can speak to yeah well uh both of our uh, marquee uh, fictional projects are, are top of mind and uh, we're super excited about uh, looking glass uh, is an original production out of next cipher and uh, we feel that 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 really tells a story of class of of the the modern haves and have-nots as uh, our society seems to be evolving towards and how 
how uh, fe our, our female protagonist, Allie, uh, really pushes back on that and shows a lot of strength and, and uh, gumption and uh, intelligence and in how she navigates her world. It's uh, super exciting. It's action-packed. It's it's a uh, very cyberpunk future, uh, maybe Blade Runner evocative. And uh, I, I just love that, uh, love that whole genre of cyberpunk. I eat it up. That's uh, that's Looking Glass, and then uh, Deathlands is uh, our uh, you know Mad Max Max esque you know kind of Fury Road esque uh, near term future uh, uh, post apocalyptic survival tale, very popular based on a very popular set of books from the nineteen eighties, and uh, ironically uh, Truckers. Help me uh, discover this series. Uh, it's very popular at truck stops. You can see stacks and stacks of Deathland CDs and books that uh, apparently they listen to on long haul uh, adventures. It's very pulpy, very pulp fiction. Uh, you know, maybe touches of uh, Elmore Leonard as well uh, in in the Mad Max uh, Furioso uh, uh, setting, and we just love it to death. Uh, so that's, that's a very exciting. We've got some other, uh, very early developments, uh, at our studio where frankly, we're staffing up, we're growing, uh, as fast as we can, uh, to, uh, meet some of this demand. I think that there's, there's a real demand of, uh, for good stories that are well told, uh, dot, dot, dot on a budget. Uh, you know, we, uh, the, the world can't unfortunately afford, uh, tons of hundred million dollar films, hundred million dollar TV productions, and uh, we think that uh, our uh, production staff is uh, knows how to make uh, amazing content on a budget, and that's uh, part of the reason why we're uh, getting so much inbound interest. Very cool. And uh, in terms of inbound interest and and people maybe looking to uh, get in touch, how how can people do so? Check out our website, nextcypher, C-Y-P-H-E-R.com. Follow us on Twitter at NextCypherPro. Awesome. Well, Jeff, uh, I really appreciate the time and uh, excited to see what you guys uh, cook up with, with, or the advancement, I should say, of the two projects you just mentioned, and then also uh, what else is going to hop on that development slate uh, in the coming months uh, and years. And... Uh, yeah, excited also to see how that next level of fan engagement uh, is a, is apparent in all of the works that you mentioned and and really what that looks like for the entertainment ecosystem moving forward. Thanks thanks for having me. Uh I'm excited as well. Uh you know, personally it's been an amazing week. We'll have some uh really cool news to share in uh the upcoming weeks. Uh so uh people can uh, look back at this and uh, see some of the hints that I gave uh, during this episode. The Lights, Camera, Crypto podcast Easter eggs for, for exactly. those listening. <laughs> awesome. Appreciate it, Jeff. Thanks for listening to another episode of Lights, Camera, Crypto, a podcast produced by Matt Bogart and Decentral Media. Music by Brian Duncan and Kareem Imes. If you enjoyed this experience, be sure to rate and subscribe to our show and to follow at Sladen and at Decentral Media for additional content.